We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Uh, coming in Wednesday morning, it's February 15th. And on today's show, I'm joined by Wolves beat writer Jace Frederick from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Uh, we haven't talked to Jace since the Conley for D'Lo swap went down last week. So more Conley talk coming up. It's a lot of the same things. I put together the outline today. I'm like, well... The terms drop in high wall might come up again. So if you are if you are sick of that, turn off this episode or fast forward. I, I don't know. Jace, uh, I'm I, talking about Kyle Anderson on this episode. I told you that. Perfect. You can perfect. talk about whatever else you want to talk about. <laughs> but if you are if you want some Kyle Anderson talk, stay locked in. Okay. I, I'm always mute, down. Hit the hit the plus 15 seconds whenever Dane starts talking. Exactly. And then we'll get back to me talking about Kyle Anderson. Yeah, I'm I'm like an advertisement. Um, speaking of, uh, there was a Mike Conley, maybe kind of press conference yesterday. I didn't go to it. Uh, Britt and I were, were recording. Doesn't sound like it was actually maybe a press conference. I don't, I didn't see it even on YouTube or anything, but, uh, it was Jace at a minimum, your first time crack, uh, being around Mike. I actually know you interviewed him when he was here a couple right. weeks uh, back Pretty extensively. What? Yeah, like five minutes when, when Utah was in town and Walker Kessler, that big game. Yeah. So I went over to Utah to, to talk to guys about Walker Kessler because obviously that's going to be a big name in Minnesota for a long time, too, just as people always look back on the Gobert trade. So talked to Conley about him and other things for like five minutes. And I could tell right then and there, like I already knew it because Mike Conley's been in the league forever and has a great reputation. But like that guy's a great quote, Um, is a great thinker, knows the game incredibly well and I think we're going to have a lot of fun gaining insight about the game and fans as well, uh, just from Mike Conley being on this team. What did anything in particular from yesterday stick out or anything that he's sort of said here, whether it was to Chris and John on the road or whatever, like specific to this team, has Conley said anything that, that stood out to you? Yeah, um, I think just yesterday specifically kind of, and I think it is valuable to have talked to him now after he's played a couple of games um, because you have perception and then you kind of have a, a growing sense of reality uh, and just talking to him about this roster and about this team and what he thinks about it. Um, he said this before uh, to like Chris and John in, in Memphis, but like 
he forgets that, you know, cats got to come back and, <laughs> and the ceiling and how that can raise the ceiling. And obviously we'll see how it all comes together now with him on the team with Cat and Rudy out there. But just like where the ceiling of where this team can go. Um, and he compared it. I asked him, I was like, how does this compare to other rosters you've been on? And he actually said, like, it compares a little bit to some of those Memphis teams he was on in that Marcus is not the same player as Rudy Gobert, but they both were kind of like paint patrollers. Uh, Marcus was a defensive player of the year. Um, Tony Allen, Tayshawn Prince, those guys, like those defenders with length, remind him yeah. of like Jaden McDaniels to some degree. I mean, obviously he's on the team and he's like, it's it's like a roster that is gritty and you can win pretty, you can win ugly, you can win with defense, you can win with offense. It's a really versatile team. Um, and, and I understand that. And I frankly agree with that. There are nights where this team wins 129, 124, and there are nights where they look like a really good defensive team. So I think that that actually lines up pretty well. And then when he was done with that, I was just like, but this team seems to have a higher offensive ceiling. And he's like, oh, yeah, like yeah. this team's got a higher offensive ceiling with, you know, Cat and Ant and uh, a lot of things that, that they can do scoring the ball along with guys who just succeed on both ends of the court. So I, I liked that comparison between that Memphis team, just in the fact of like the length and the defensive versatility that they sh- theoretically should have um, comparing it to this roster. And I do think he's just excited for the potential of what this team can do. I, I think right. he thinks that they really can do some special things. And we've always said that, like if it all comes together, they can, and, and maybe he is the straw that can kind of stir the drink here. So when I think about Mike Conley and, and Rudy Gobert and something we've talked about throughout the season, you know, again, you talked to Conley about a couple months ago after the Kessler game was this idea that it took Conley like pretty much a full season to like acclimate to to Rudy that first year in Utah. And the whole idea, right, is like how different the first 12 years of his career playing with Marcus Saul was stylistically with that type of center, switching to Rudy Gobert, who's very different. And obviously Rudy's here. And so there's that acclimation. And I think we're already seeing some of that connection. But I thought about it like Mike should have familiarity with a popping big too in in cat given the Gasol thing, right? Like it's Conley is the type of center who has played with and had success with the very different types of bigs uh, in, in the league. And not that Gasol and Kat are perfect facsimiles by, by any means, but functionally for a guard, right? Like it was Gasol just kind of like his pop was that little backpedal thing, right? It just would kind of yeah. just pivot back out of it. And you'd, you know, took threes similar to Kat, not at the same volume, but, the more, like, I definitely spent the first 48 hours, like, okay, like, hyper-focus. What does Conley do for Gobert? And the more I start thinking about Conley, the questions I have or the just curiosities I have are about how he connects to these other players on the team. And, again, we don't know when when Cat is back, but that's kind of, like, the, the interesting one to me in that if that fits as well as, theoretically, the Gobert and Conley thing fits... Then we can start talking about that, whatever you just said there, like the, the ceiling, the exponential growth of this, because really, I mean, who who has Cat had his best chemistry with in his career, like as a guard running any sort of two man action? Like, is it I get I don't think it was Ricky. Like, there's never really been anyone who's fit that you're like, man, that one worked really, really well. I, I don't know. I just think of this off the cuff. like. Who would you say you could be a squinty face? 
I, I mean, I'm trying to think of who were like the point guards, even in his best, in his statistical best years. You know, Shabazz like, Napier. <laughs> yeah, that honestly, that name came to my mind. I was like, Shabazz Napier was the point guard when he was like really yeah. filling it up. <laughs> you know, like so. I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I think that the top spot on that list is very much up for grabs still. Like right. there hasn't been like a perfect match. It seems like of somebody who was specifically aiding Cat. Like not that. Mm-hmm. They can't work like Ant and Cat work well off one another, but it's not like Ant is quote unquote unlocking Cat or anything right. to that sense. Like that spot's still up for grabs, and maybe Mike Conley can do it. It'll be interesting too. I think like maybe one thing I don't know if how much Conley has played with bigs who literally don't set screens, like just slip everything. Like we'll see how he does with that too. Like I I've always said Cat should do more of that. Like I think he gets himself in trouble trying too hard to like my job here is to set the screen. I'm gonna mm-hmm. set it. Um, I'm going to stick my hip out if I have to, to make sure I make contact. Uh, but, but yeah, Conley like has so much exposure to so many different players, um, just throughout his career. And, and that's where like, yeah, people want to knock the age, but like, there is a lot to be said for being a veteran who's played a lot of basketball. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think like it could be good for Rudy could be good for cat. Like the Dallas game was the perfect encapsulation of how it can be good for everybody. Um, and I'm sure you talked about that with Britt, but like there's, it, it it can help a lot of players play a lot better just to have more facilitators out there. It's no longer just like a Kyle Anderson. It's also a Kyle Anderson, a Mike Conley, Torian Prince is still on that list. Like guys who are connectors. Um, and if you're going to add more to that list with this talented roster, the better your team's going to be. Yeah, let's talk about the, the the Kyle part of it. And I think like that's been you know that wasn't like you needed to remove D'Lo to let. Kyle facilitate. Kyle's kind of been doing that for the past, basically the entire time, you know, Carl's been out, at least when the opportunities presented themselves. So I like, I don't think it's going to be a foreign concept to the rest of the roster that like, hey, we have different initiators, like kind of throughout the game based on what the, how we're you know flowing through the game. And that, when you think about the league and like go through, like just pull up a random team in your head, you don't really think of like, oh yeah, this team has like, four initiators I think of you know it's kind of like Chris Paul and then the backup or whatever you know like it's maybe right. they maybe they have a couple maybe they have a second side guy but that is going to be an interesting dynamic throughout this because with the Dallas game being just the first example I think what I really take from that game is Finch now is going to kind of just close with different lineups right like and and feel comfortable in being able to do that and roll with what a given matchup presents. And maybe that should have been happening more throughout the season, but I don't think it's going to be one of those teams where it comes to the fourth quarter where you're like, all right, this guy's going to rotate in for the first four minutes of the quarter, and then we know by the seven-minute mark that the five starters are going to be back on the floor, right? It Particularly once Cat's back in the mix, I think it's going to be, and and Kyle kind of, and Conley being maybe the, the variables that are in or out and having a lot of success one time, you're like, wait, they're not closing this game. Like, I just think it's going to be representative of a game to game approach. And I think this roster um, really demands that, particularly again, once you have, once you have cap back in the mix, you had a, you had a couple of like awesome Kyle Anderson clutch time stats. And obviously the end of that Dallas game uh, was so Kyle uh, in, in just making little plays that went a long ways. What a, what in particular stood out to you from from that that performance from Anderson and and if you have those clutch numbers in front of you, uh, why don't you list those off? Yeah. Um. Well, a couple things. Uh, first off, like 
Kyle, as we saw, like offensively, they they still kind of ran everything through him. Like even though Ann had a big offensive game, like Rudy obviously was a big focal point of the offense with coming playing off Connolly, frankly, and then Rudy wasn't on the court in the last six minutes. Mm-hmm. It was still really Kyle centric, which is what it's been for a lot of the year. Whenever Kyle's been in the game, um, like things are facilitated through him, um, and and he makes plays off of that, whether that's finding guys or or whether it's like a fake dribble handoff that that gets Luca to bite and. Uh, and he just dives to the rim for an easy layup. Like, good offense. Like, Minnesota survived Dallas's onslaught offensively because they also played good offense, and a lot of that came through Kyle Anderson. And so Mike Conley was talking yesterday, and he goes, yeah, I'm just kind of learning things. Like, it can take a few weeks to learn everything. Uh, that Dallas game was the first close game I've been in, so I kind of see how we operate, how we maneuver in those moments. And and playing off that, I was like, uh, did, did you realize how Kyle Anderson-centric everything is? And he goes, <laughs> I didn't expect it, but as the game was flowing, I kind of got it. I was like, okay, I see why. Mm. It allows the ball to move a little bit, and it doesn't get stuck because that's one thing you don't want at the end of games is one guy having to try to do it all and everybody kind of framed out of it. Um, When the ball keeps moving, and Kyle is a great ball mover, he's a great glue guy, and myself, I can do that as well, moving the ball side to side. I think it makes it easier for Ant, for Cat, anybody who's trying to finish the game for us. And that's exactly it. Uh, he's a ball mover. He keeps it from getting stuck. That's why Chris Finch always goes with Kyle Anderson. Um, I have it, you know, like Kyle Anderson was on a minutes restriction and that's why he didn't start. Um, and Kyle kind of blew through that minutes restriction from what I've heard, uh, to, to finish <laughs> that game. And, and it's not surprising because like they need him on the court at the end of games. Um, and you saw like offensively, everything kind of flowed through him and defensively, like, yeah, he picked Luca. He also had a big, like, kind of like tipped Lucas pass and it went right to Jane McDaniels after Luca grabbed the defensive rebound. Uh, so I think it just went as a Jaden steal, but Kyle Anderson definitely like impacted right. the play. Uh, and just a shout out to Dallas's broadcast team. Okay. He does those two plays within 20 seconds of each other. It is like, they're like wrestling announcers being like Kyle Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> he does it again. That's Kyle Anderson. <laughs> They were just in love with the things he was doing. And frankly, like, I get it because I am too. Like, they're great basketball plays. But this is what Kyle's done for this team all season. So here are the numbers. He's now played. I tweeted it yesterday. They actually hadn't updated the clutch time stats yet. Now they have. Uh, so he is. The Wolves are 17 and 7 in the 24 clutch games that Kyle Anderson's played in. He's played 61 minutes of clutch time. The Wolves have won those minutes by 30 points, um, <laughs> which is absurd. I mean, like, that is, abs- they are dominating clutch time when Kyle Anderson's on the court. And why is that? Because in those 61 minutes, Kyle shooting 50% from the court, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, three steals, no turnovers. Like, always making the right play. We know he's a good defender. Uh, and it, it's just like, they are executing at a 20 times higher level late in games than they ever did last season. Like, people want to talk about the rebounding in the Memphis series, and that's why they lost. They also played poop offense, um, and that was the case all of last season. They had they were a horrible late-game offensive team. It was always, like, your turn, my turn offense. It went well, like, two times when somebody randomly hit shots. Otherwise, it was terrible. And Chris Finch at the end of games would be like, yeah, our late-game offense sucked, even when they won. That's not the case when Kyle Anderson's out there, like, he makes them an infinitely more dangerous team because it feels like they are going, they have a reasonable chance to win games. And they are winning games late when they're up for grabs, where before it was like, probably not going to happen because they're going to fold um, mm-hmm. like they did so many times in that Memphis series. Like, I think it's interesting. Torian Prince has only played 18 minutes of clutch time, but he's a plus 14. 
Um, wow. So it's like, just play your vets, <laughs> you know, like play the guys who know how to play winning basketball. And Mike Conley's just another one of those guys. So like you can surround those guys. Maybe there's not a spot for Prince, but like if Kyle Anderson's out there with Ant and Conley and, you know, McDaniels and Ruby right. or Cat or whatever, like your chances of success go through the roof. Like he is just, I, I can't say enough about the difference he has made for them when it matters most in mm-hmm. games. I, I want to talk a little bit more about what functionally closing time looks like, but let me grab a quick break here and then we'll get back. I want to keep talking about this with Chase. Today's show was brought to you by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is the MVP of the business game. With their advanced marketing techniques, they've helped over 300 brands generate over $3 billion in retail sales. So if you're an entrepreneur with any size brand or product, they're the best in the business. And for being fans of the pod, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI technology that helps founders uncover the true potential of their brand. Find out how big your brand or product should be. Don't let your competition steal the lead. Email them at grow at thegenesiscompany.com and claim your spot at the top of the game. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. And I want to let you know that Falling Knife has added a second projector screen in their tap room for their Wolves watch parties. You've been there. They had one on one side of the wall. They got now surround screens going on. They got TVs throughout the tap room. So if you are looking to go out for a Wolves game, find a time to to get together with friends, or you just want to be part of the Wolves uh, community that they've cultivated over at Falling Knife Brewing Company, I really do recommend checking it out for a game here is maybe... The weather starts getting a little bit warmer. You want to get outside. You want to go be a little bit more social. If you're looking to do that for a Wolves game, uh, I, I really can't recommend a better place than Falling Knife to check out. Obviously, it doesn't need to be a Wolves game. Either maybe you got tickets to the Wolves. Uh, you can check out Falling Knife just uh, for happy hour with uh, coworkers or friends. But I do recommend checking it out on, on Wolves games nights. I think it's going to be uh, particularly fun here as the playoff push is upon us. That's, again, Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. All right, back with Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. Jace, before the break, we are talking about closing time, clutch time, particularly as it connects to Kyle Anderson. And, and as you were talking, you know, I'm thinking about what on offense does clutch time offense or just end of game offense look like and what has it looked like from over the the Finch era and their go-to kind of action right is what kind of looks like a horn set where they have two guys right. at the elbows they have a, a point up top they call it their v2 uh action yep. and and oftentimes like the, the first the first game I that is really in my memory uh that sticks out is it was D'Lo Ant and Cat in the the V there at the top. D'Lo initiating Ant and Cat at the elbows, and then whoever you know, two two sort of shooters ideally um, in the corners playing off of that. And when I think about Kyle Anderson being at the end of games, and you just listed off every single reason why he should be uh, in games at the at the end of games, I wonder how that functionally looks when you have Rudy and Cat on there. Like, do you run that V two action? with Kyle at the point and Rudy and Kat at the elbows and then Ant and Jaden in the corners. Like it's very weird to have your initial action, like functionally your playmakers in that set be six, nine, six, 11 and seven, two. Right. And then you would have like Ant and Jaden off in the corners or Ant and Conley, whatever there too. I, I wonder, cause you point being, you can't have Kyle be the corner guy in those situations. I don't, I don't think they will choose, to do that because right. it kind of, but it's still not what 
Right. He's not why he's on the court. He's on the court to be like the stabilizer, the decision maker, and he's not deciding if he's in the court. So how do you set that up? Like, what, you well, have what did to they do against? I, I'm trying to picture the plays against Dallas. Like I'm picturing when he, that wasn't like, as much of the. It was. It was. It was mostly like just spread, right? Like I. I think because because Rudy was out of the game, and I think it was more like a a five out. Look, it was it, it wasn't the the V two. I I don't yeah, yeah. I don't think, or at least it wasn't consistently. Well, I'm just that. picturing it in my head. Like I think you could go V two with like Conley at the point, and maybe Carl in the corner, Carl in the corner, and yeah. like Ant and Kyle or something um, at the elbow. That's, well, you know, and you like, could just I'm, diversify too from like possession right. to possession, and that'd be hard to to guard. I just think like when you think about the restrictions of it, like obviously Rudy would need to be in. At one of the elbow spots, I think Kyle has to be somewhere in the V. You know, there, there's like certain guys that can't do certain shooting, basically, right? Putting them right. outside of that, and then there's certain guys who who can't initiate. I don't love the idea of Ant being relegated to the corner because he turns off when when he does that. And you know, maybe there's ways to activate out outside of that. I just I'm so interested to watch like. 10 games of this team at full strength, the relative full strength, having Carl back in the mix and what it even is that Finch goes to in those spots, because you can make the case that it should be five, six, seven different guys who could be in the mix there and all in different sorts of roles. And when the playoffs come, you're going to see that every night, right? You kind of have clutch time ends up being like the entire second half, right? So I, I am curious how Finch would try to even approach that and maybe yeah maybe it is just Carl in the corner maybe that's just overall more of Carl kind of out the second part of the action right maybe that right. this is just another example of how and why that has to happen imagine if if you had Ant and Carl in the corners like imagine how freely everybody else could function in the middle you know and it's yeah. not like this is like 20 possessions of a game like it's like four I mean, realistically, (laughs) you know, so that's what you think is going to get you your best looks. And it probably the ball probably ends up in Ant or Cat's hands eventually anyway. Uh, But this is why, like, whatever it is, like the ball should be in the hands of Mike Conley or Kyle Anderson Mm -hmm. making the decisions. Because like this year, trying to win games this year, I get developing Ant, wanting him to grow into that. But it hasn't worked uh, right Right. now. So if you're worried about this team making a deeper run this year or like big games, playoff Uh games this year, it should be in the hands of Conley or Anderson because a, you're going to actually get shots, um, and B, you're going to get good shots. Uh, that that just that's been the case. If like to highlight the eleven assists, no turnovers for Kyle Anderson in the clutch. Ant has six assists and nine turnovers in the clutch this year, yep. and Sacked D'Lo and D'Lo had five assists and six turnovers in the clutch this year. Like mm. so, somebody who is making sure that you are generating good offense and getting shot attempts up and not having turnovers that not only don't let you get shots but open up easy buckets for the other team, like it's everything. And Conley should be the same kind of force for them. Like and like Anderson, like another thing with him on the court, and I noticed this from clips and watching him in that Dallas game, like he picks Lucas pocket and he starts going in transition. And Ant is just totally hanging out in the back, like, here, throw it to me. I'll walk the ball up the, the court. windmill, the Kyle windmill. Yeah, and Kyle Anderson's <laughs> doing the windmill, which he's done before. And he's like, Ant, run. Like, come <laughs> on, run down the court. And Ant try, tries then. But by that point, the transition opportunity is gone. So right. they have to kind of go into a half court set. Uh, 
And then when he when he kind of pokes the ball away from Luca and Jaden gets the ball and starts working his way down low against uh I I think it was I don't remember who it was against. Uh, yeah. It was a guard. Maybe it was Kyrie. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then like Frank Nitilink, how do you Nitilkina? Nitilkina. Uh, yeah, he, I don't know. Yeah, he he comes over but doesn't actually play any help defense. He just stands there. But uh, it's it's like a loose double. And then Kyle's pointing out, like, kick to Torian Prince, kick to Torian <laughs> Prince. There's 13 seconds left on the shot clock. So and, demonstrative. And, and then Jaden eventually like goes up and misses, but they do call a foul, so like it works out in the end. But like the right play there with 12 seconds on the clock is like. You're like technically doubled here. Kick it out. Well, the, um, the, the point is, is that Kyle seems to always know. Yeah, he just knows the game. Like, so it, it's just kind of going back to the original question. Like, he's just got to be in the actions um, because yeah. it's it's the best way to make sure that you're always doing the right things. And the biggest detriment to this team, even dating back to the start of this year, like when they would play against JV rosters from Cleveland and Philly when everybody was hurt for those two teams, they almost lost both those games because they never made the right play late. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Denver games. Yes. Yep. Exactly. And this is the way to guarantee that you, as long as Kyle Anderson can play, as long as he's healthy, you can always make the right plays. Um, and, and, you know, that helps you win games like down the stretch. Yeah. It's shot making so much of it is like, who is not shooting themselves in the foot right. and Minnesota, like as you know, they're not shooting themselves in the foot when Kyle Anderson's on the court, when Torian Prince is on the court, those types of guys, you know, what one way to resolve this issue is of who you put out there in offensive clutch time and where they're positioned and all that, it makes a whole lot more sense if Rudy Gobert is, is not on the floor in, yeah. in those spots because he's the most limited of where you can put him and how you can use him in, in those type of actions. And, I mean, again, we talked about this yesterday with Britt, the idea, not the idea, the fact that Rudy got played off the floor in in that game uh, is, is a bit telling because we did ask Finch about this before the season, naturally, given Rudy's history of having gotten played off the floor in those situations. And what Finch said back then is we're not going to let opposing lineups remove our best players from the court. They did opt. Finch did opt to do that uh, against Dallas. He seemed at least tempted to do it against Sacramento and the other time, went, but didn't, and they lost in that situation. And I'm just, I just wonder if there's a little bit of a, of a change of heart uh, from Finch and just, again, realizing given the makeup of the roster that sometimes, if not maybe a lot of the time, you do need to go with Rudy not on the floor in those situations, which doesn't have to be the end of the world because Rudy still had a really good game uh, in in that Dallas game on on Monday. But that was a shift, right, in, in the fact that Finch did opt to bench Gobert, and we think about that oftentimes from a defensive perspective. But I thought the Dallas game... That was a benching that had a lot more to do with offense than than it did defense. So, do you think this might be something uh, we see as a as a change going forward, where Rudy isn't on the floor closing at least more games than he hasn't thus far? I do think it's only going to be a temptation when teams go small like Dallas did mm-hmm. and Sacramento did. I don't think if the other team has a traditional big on the floor that Rudy won't play. <clears throat> I'd be surprised if that happens anyway, because it's harder to justify. Frankly, like totally. and, and Rudy is like, you know, a $40 million a year player. And like now you can kind of write it off like, hey, it's not, you know, and even Finch was like, I was planning on it, you know, uh, putting <laughs> him back in. But then, you know, like it just seemed like the group was defending well as the lead was getting siphoned away. Like uh, I thought we matched up really well. It's like, ah, they were scoring pretty much every possession. But all right, uh, <laughs> they were doing the same thing when Rudy was out there. So it doesn't 
anybody who's like the lead slipped away when Rudy was out. Like the fourth quarter, they gave they lost like eight points off the lead or something when Rudy was in there, and like seven points off the lead when Rudy wasn't out. It was it didn't matter. Uh, right. It was it, the same game played out regardless. Like so, but I I do think it's I think doing it once and winning or whatever is just more of a possibility to have the option to do it and have more license to do it moving forward if you want to. Um, and this team does have enough options to play multiple different ways and sport multiple different lineups that this is how the NBA should be, right? Like whatever the coach thinks is the best lineup to counteract what the other team is doing in that specific moment, throw salaries and everything out the window. Mm-hmm. This here's who should play or who's here's who's playing well. That's what a lot of the best teams do, man. Like, yeah, you know, like, and, and, and usually it's not complicated because the very best players are always the best fit for that mm-hmm. moment. Um, but Rudy's a little different. And yeah. I think it, there is something. And I think even like, the team at large acknowledges this. Like, I think the players are like, look, Rudy does a lot of great things. And sometimes it's not always the best fit in certain moments. And that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I think everybody needs to acknowledge that. Rudy needs to acknowledge that. The coaching staff needs to come to grips with it, which I think they have. Like, if Rudy dominates 30 minutes, it shouldn't matter which 30 minutes those are. Um, right. if, if you just give your team the best chance to win. And I don't disagree that what they did down the stretch, at least defensively, even on that last possession, you can't supply that type of all-out pressure mm-hmm. if Rudy Gobert is on the court because there's going to be a release valve. Yes. There was no release valve when Rudy wasn't on the court, um, mm-hmm. and that makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, too, that it doesn't, like, what what is the argument, what is the strong argument for pulling Rudy off the floor if the other team has a traditional center out there, right? Like, because then in that situation, you can, that traditional center is always going to be matched up on Rudy, right? So you can, you can just play pick and roll, right? You can, then you can, you can bring Rudy up into the action, you know, say it's Washington on Thursday, right? And Daniel Gafford's on him. Like if Daniel Gafford's in at the end of the game, then you go, you, you have Rudy go up and set the screen for Ant and get Ant the switch onto Gafford or put him in coverage, rotation, whatever it might be. It really is the times offensively that you go okay, maybe we just need to not have Rudy out here is when he is being guarded by a 6'5 guy, he's posting up and it just doesn't doesn't look like the players want to get it to him. They can't really find, like Jeff Teague style, aren't really able to hit the entry pass into him. Like those are the situations and we saw that against Dallas where it's like three, four possessions in a row and you're like, hey, this is literally clogging the lane They're because we're not giving him the ball there. and and if you do that, you're limiting your offense probably more than you're making up for it on the defensive end with Rudy on on the floor. So I'm totally with that. Like Rudy should close games probably 100% of the time if there is a traditional big out there for him to guard and be guarded by. That just makes sense. And I think like I wrote about this at the beginning of the season. Like this is a different challenge for Chris Finch than like last year was. Yeah. And we talked about this too. Like last year, there wasn't much optionality. Mm-hmm. This year, you're stacked with it. Like, what the other team is doing, what you have, you have so many different options, so many different looks you can give. Like, there's probably more offense-defense subs he can do now at the end of games in the last minute, should he choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things for him to consider. There's a lot of different things you have to manage outside of the X's and O's with that. It's part of being like, a, if you want to be like an elite coach, like, it's kind of what you have to navigate. Um, and this is this is a big challenge. It's not easy to coach Rudy Gobert just in this sense that it, mm-hmm. it's a chess piece. Um but like the best coaches can 
can kind of figure things out. And that's going to unfinch his coaching staff to do. I think they know what the best strategy is every game. It's just doing it. Um, right. Uh, Chase, let's, uh, Let's grab one more break here, and then um, we'll we'll come back for one final segment with Chase. I got I got one more uh, question, and we'll touch on prize picks a little bit too. One more segment with Chase. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, JJ Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back with Jace Frederick uh, from the Pioneer Press. Uh, Jace, one final thing. I I think this kind of ties into everything we've been talking about related uh, to Rudy. Um, I I haven't. I don't think I've talked about this on on the pod at all. You you've you wrote about this a little bit in your column on Monday, and and I've I've seen you tweet about it. uh, Situationally, is is the idea the difference of the defensive effectiveness when Rudy is on the floor versus off the floor, and how it gets so much worse. In the in a game when Rudy starts and Nas comes in, just the on off num- numbers defensively are insane. In in favor of Rudy, but the interesting side of it is when Nas Reed does start games, as Rudy's missed something like fifteen games this year, the defense from a defensive rating standpoint has been just as successful, and and that's about coverages in in different ways, but kind of removing the toggle. But it is. Worth pointing out that when Rudy has been off the floor for an entire game, that the Wolves defense has functioned effectively. What do you think goes into that? I think it's just, I think it's just simplification. I think it's that you're doing the same thing. It's, it's like the high wall. You're doing it all game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, I still think the personnel plays best with the high wall. Like that is what the current personnel, like outside of Rudy, I think is still like most fit to do. They enjoy it. They like that look. It really does kind of activate them. They've always talked about that. I still think it holds true. Like it energizes them. They thrive off forcing turnovers, creating havoc. Um, like people will point out like Nas's defensive rating in his starts, just his starts is like 105, which is absurd. And people will point out like, well, the teams have shot poorly from three in those games. And that's true. How many times did teams shoot poorly from three last year against this team? Right. The non the non elite teams did it all the time because even when you're generating decent looks, I kind of had to come to grips with this last year, like that the stats weren't going to bear out. Like, yeah, they gave up a lot of wide open threes. It was after so much ball movement, and it was just like you're thinking so quickly, and it's almost like mayhem out there that it's just not a comfortable shot. Like, yeah, it's, dude, nothing you, is in you like have, a full on rhythm. You have Austin Rivers sprinting at you full speed from the low man rotation out to the corner. And you like, like a linebacker, like coming down at you. Not like a normal little, like I'm gonna put my hand in your face for a closeout. Like I look like I might tackle you here on, right, on this right. closeout. That's a tougher shot to make just like, like psychologically. And, and that is a really good point you bring up last year. That was what you and me too. We're pointing out, we're like, I actually don't think this defense is that good because remember in the 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 Vando Papev Ant Jaden Cat lineup, it was like most incredible offensive and defensive rate, best net rate like plus forty and like three hundred minutes. We're like, okay, but they're shooting twenty one percent from three against that lineup, and obviously there's still some outlier to that, but right. but I do think there is something to the fact that it's a different type of three that you are shooting as the offensive player when a defense is scrambling around at you. And if and when the Wolves hold on to that scramble and actually like keep it for all 24 seconds of the shot clock, it holds. It goes the other way, though, too, when you don't have that fly-around mentality and you are in the high wall and you don't have that scramble. It look, I mean, the last time they played Dallas, previous to Monday, it was like ping, ping, open Bullock three, open Bullock three, Open Hardaway three. Only you know? in the only in the fourth quarter. Yes, but yeah. it was it it was easy and 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 a lot of that, you know, I I think had to do with the the scramble was not effectively put in place, and I think that that goes to the Nas and starts point because you're playing that coverage the entirety of the game, right? And it it gets more hardwired into your defensive identity at least for that game. I think that's what the distinction is, rather than all right. Uh, Rudy's subbing out at the five-minute mark of the first quarter. Nas is going to play the final five minutes of the first quarter, and then Rudy's going to come back in to start it. It's these little, when it's a little shift in the continuity or whatever, you, or consistency of it, when when you don't have that, you don't have the fly-around mentality, unsurprisingly, the defensive rating against them skyrockets. There's something to the consistency, and I think there's something about Nas specifically being a rhythm player. Maybe that's because he's young. like. I could point to five different things that are like every time Nas has a bad game, I'm like totally like out of his rhythm, right? Gets foul trouble, only a five minute stint, whatever it might be. There's something about consistency and continuity with this team that has a pretty, I think, profound impact on on the numbers of this group. I mean, it's just like, I don't know how to explain this, but like, say you're like Ant and you're playing with Rudy for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're like jogging around a track for like, you know, you're doing like eight laps, just jogging. And then all of a sudden now Nas checks in, it's like sprint, sprint, sprint. Right, right. And you're like, whoa, it's like, wait, I've already been hey, jogging. You're not, <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not sprint. Yeah, you're not sprinting full speed. It's like, I, I, 
I'm sorry. Like I, you know, it's but when you, the whole game, it's like sprint, 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 you're like ready to sprint. And that's what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's way different. And, and even like the Dallas game, that fourth quarter, uh, where they kind of picked apart the high wall as much as anything. I don't think the scramble was as good for sure, but that was also the second straight time they played Dallas. It was the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. I do think Luca had just kind of been like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. Like yeah. I I've, kind of diagnose what they're doing they've done this to me for two games because they did it in the first game which Nas mm-hmm. started and then the second game which rudy started that was just like the other night like rudy was playing much higher up in those situations yep. um so i do think luca just kind of figured it out eventually and that's why after that game rudy said i think we should have switched it up a little earlier we should have started switching or whatever um a little earlier in that fourth quarter and that was my whole point of my article is like a like it, it is very different of like when Rudy's out there and then when they have to switch things up and the whole point is that they're not very good at switching things up. Mm -hmm. And the idea though, is that when you get in the playoffs and Finch even said this when asked about it, like earlier this month, you have to be able to switch. If you want to like within a game, you have to be able to switch looks, do different things and do them successfully and do them right and do them a hundred percent. If you're going to beat these teams with these great players, because you have to throw different looks at them uh, and you, and you have to be able to do them all well um, if you want to, you know, really be able to like, particularly for teams. a playoff series, right? Like, right. You, exactly. Over the course of six, seven games, how many can't run high wall? Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they right. will pick it up. They will pick it apart. So we talk about the toggle, like it's this kind of fundamental issue with this team. And I think in maybe the regular season sense, it's the difference between, you know, being a, a top five defense versus a top 10 defense. Right. Um, but when you think about it in the playoffs, you're like, absolutely. All, 16 teams in the playoffs are going to have this need to toggle defensively. And it's why, like, even though I think this has been a point of consternation, like in the fan base and certainly in us and the way we talk about when we think about this team, it is a good thing to be having multiple coverages that you can go to. They at least have a a pretty substantial amount of reps in both coverages. And because things were kind of messy in the first half of the season, they also had a decent amount of time in like switch four switch five concepts right they played a lot of zone throughout this season and ultimately with the Rudy Gobert team like yes you'd like to say we can just be the best drop coverage team in the NBA but you know what the best drop coverage team in the NBA has been for the past five years the Milwaukee Bucks or whatever they had to do in the playoffs all of the last five years or they did it initially and then they added it and won a championship is diversify those coverages so we could be talking out of both sides of our mouths. We're like, this doesn't work when this team runs multiple coverages while also being like, they absolutely have to. That's the right. conundrum. And that's part of this whole idea where I'm, what do you do here? And you kind of roll your eyes of like, oh, I think this is going to be better after a year. You know, you heard that even before Cat got hurt for people in the organization. I think year two is going to be better. I think that is the best argument for why year two is going to be better and not just an excuse for this didn't work at the beginning of the season. Carl and, and Rudy are an awkward fit. Like, that's why. Because they could do more things more consistently. That's what makes you believe in it. And I don't know. It's going to be hard to believe in that if we only have 15, 20 games of Carl prior to the playoffs. But maybe, you know, maybe within that's enough time to, to get it to click. I do feel confident that it will click better over time eventually. I just don't know what the timeline is. Yeah, and and the biggest thing about toggling is like it can't just be Rudy on, Rudy off. Like they have to be able to toggle defensive looks with Rudy on the court too. Like great point. And that's where like 
that's where the Dallas matchup has been encouraging, where like they have had Rudy play higher up, specifically against Luca. I can't really think that that this is like mm-hmm. that this isn't something that they they can do against. I haven't seen it really against anybody else. They've done it against Luca. I don't know yeah, if it's I, because I think the only theory. other time was <laughs> Dallas or not Dallas, uh, Cleveland a little bit um, against Garland. Okay, so that's why I was kind of wondering, like, with Luca specifically, was it just the fear that they're not? Was it that there's not as much fear about a blow by? Like, is that is that maybe where they're more comfortable going to it? Because there certainly have been other matchups where, like, Jaw makes more sense to play higher up, but yet they really don't do that with Rudy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, because, it's like, predominantly think- be if if we could click on the ninety possessions of high wall that Rudy has played, probably eighty seven of them are against Luka Doncic or against Dallas because Kyrie would be like Ja would be another example of that. I think it's a good example. Like, let's say the Wolves play Dallas in, in the first round of the playoffs. Like, in that, you're going to have to diversify coverages because Luka will pick it apart. And I think, like, one thing you could do is the non-Luka minutes, like, I think you could you could try and play drop against Kyrie. Some great, great mid-range shooter, but rely more on Jaden to always be on Kyrie, that yes, lock and trail attached thing. Like that, right. that that's one thing we talk about all the time. It feels like for the rest of the the rest of the roster, personnel-wise, that they're most comfortable in the high wall. And I think they're the most comfortable. But Jaden McDaniels should be an awesome drop coverage point of attack defender. A a very, very good um like comparison with Drew Holiday. Yes. As far as like what they can do, like playing from behind. Uh, mm-hmm. Their opponent, like very, both very good at it. And Mikael Bridges, like yep. they put him on Steph in the playoffs, and you know you're going to be playing more of a drop with eight in there, and you rely on Mikael Bridges to stay attached to the hip and get that rear view contest with length. Like I think that the Jaden variable alone will make drop coverage more believable for this team. Again, over the course of a, a couple of years, Jaden hasn't played in that much throughout his career. Right, last year was his first season where he got real minutes. Uh, and that team exclusively played up in aggressive coverage. Like Jaden, there's value of Jaden playing and drop and getting reps on that because I think ultimately that will be his best coverage as it will be yeah, I agree. Rudy's best coverage. So it's, again, that's why so much of this ties to rotations. Who's playing with who? And if you're Finch or Mike Honori thinking on the fly of, hey, is this is this lineup combination that we have given their lineup combination an opportunity where we can throw them a, a different defensive look? If, if you get that down pat, I mean, that's how you start talking about this team being, again, uh, a top five defense for a season. The ability to do both of those. And it's we've seen the, the drop coverage be good with Rudy. And then for the first time, I thought on Monday, we saw it be really good when when he was up in coverage uh, as well. So obviously something we we need to continue to track with this team because it's so much uh, it's such a defining uh, part of what this team's identity is or is not over over the course of a game. I am interested. This is like to see what they do against Washington now, because if you remember that Washington game where Cat got hurt, Kristaps mm-hmm. Porzingis went nuts uh, from three, and it was because Minnesota was in drop, easy just kickback uh, to a popping Porzingis wide open three, and yeah, like he might not make all of them like he did in Washington, but like he's gonna make forty five percent of his man. wide open threes exactly. Yeah. You know, like. Like on that comfortable play, like what does Minnesota do to counteract that now? Like, mm-hmm. do they 
you can probably just put him on Gafford now, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so that maybe it makes life a little easier with the lineups that Washington's putting out now. Uh, but if, if it ends up where like Washington's smaller, Porzingis is on the court with Rudy, like how do they adjust? Do they do something different there? I'm interested to see it. Yeah. I wonder, uh, like, I wonder if they'll play like Kispert at the four, you know, and then, yeah. Again, so it's Washington's like five shooters. Like if they're, if they're putting in enough time to think, what is our best lineup here? Maybe it's, not to start, old, but at least it's in the other old times. Dublin cat in the post thing that we used to talk right. about all the time last year. Like, right. did you watch the previous five Wolves games? Like, this is what right. works. Like, and then teams. And Frank Vogel is like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, we don't. I got, I got Dwight Howard on cat one on one. What's the problem? <laughs> uh, exactly. No, it's uh, again, yeah, something, something to track with this team. And and thinking, I like thinking about this stuff through the lens of a playoff matchup. What if you what if you played the Wizards in a seven game series? Like, what would that team do to poke at you? You know, whoever, you know, whatever that that team might be, and it is it's what we've been talking about the whole time. Is there a non shooting five you can put Rudy on? Because if that's the case, way better. And we've talked way too much about playoff matchups on this team, but that's what we've talked about, right? Is what matchup weaponizes Rudy? What matchups really neuter? Rudy's effectiveness on this like that is at the moment such a defining thing for this team uh Jace let's uh let's wrap this up with uh prize picks you you got it I said I'm able to skip prize picks this week there's no football this Sunday you go well there's some golf lines up there that you got you got excited about uh what's what's standing out to you on prize picks this week yeah anytime golf anything's up I'm excited about it Um, (laughs) but like they have the first round numbers uh, over unders for the Genesis Invitational. It's just not, it's not a pretty big PGA Tour event. And so, like, the interesting thing that you have to remember about if you're going to bet any golf lines, the more than or less than, like, if you'd like a player to succeed, you're taking the less than because it's strokes. And right, obviously right. you want fewer strokes. Like, don't golf? make that confusion. Uh, so, like, a couple ones that I liked. Uh, Tom Hoagie, um, 70 and a half strokes. I actually feel like more than. I think he's going to shoot a worse number than that. Um just looking at his his course history, like last year here and the last couple of years here, he's he struggled a little bit at, at this course, Riviera and out in the LA area. Like I'll take the over just on, he's kind of a guy who has success at specific courses and I don't see him having it here. So Thursday, more than 70 and a half strokes. Love it. Give, give me another one because I don't have any specific, I'm, I'm not going to talk about golf. <laughs> We're just going to, what? I just want to feed through names with you. Uh, and, but uh, Scotty Scheffler, I'm going to take more than 68 and a half strokes. Scotty Shuffler is great. One last week. There is oftentimes like a winner's hangover because mm. there's so much that goes into like celebrating a week win and responsibilities that you have with that. And you get added media attention the next week. And certainly he's used to that. But like just in general, it's hard to play well two weeks in a row after you won the week prior. So Thursday, a little bit of a hangover from winning on this last weekend here, more than 60 and a half strokes. Like 69 is a good number at the Genesis. Right. So under that is would be difficult to do. So I'll take more than 68 and a half for Scheffler. I just, uh, when we decided we were going to talk about prize picks, I just went to it. I went to the NBA lines. So like, I, I just have a, a, a question. Real quick. Hang on. Golf one. Yeah. Tiger Woods, 73 and a half. He's playing his first regular PGA tour event in like three years. Dane, 73 and a half strokes for Tiger on Thursday, more or less. Well, I got to go with Tiger, man. That's Less right. Never that. bet against him. But I feel like art, like, isn't it like the Cowboys or whatever, where like it always, so many people always bet the beneficial side of it, right? But where, what's funny is this is the largest number on the board by two and a half strokes. Wow. Like the next highest number is 71. And they are giving Tiger 73 and a half. Lock and it in. Oh, 
the whole thought is that I mean the guy can barely walk, uh, but but that's a pretty big number. He doesn't have to have a good round. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Tiger Woods less than seventy three and a half strokes at the what? Invitational Genesis at the Genesis Invitational. Yep, Shot, I, like I don't. I think it's a different Genesis company than than the one that sponsors this show. But we, we we're always we're on board for Genesis. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I was just looking at. I just I don't have a pick uh, for NBA, but almost every team plays tonight. Um, who do you think has the highest line for points scored tonight? I don't know. I have to look at the matchups. Um, no, just think about like. It, Who's it's playing just tonight? I'm just wondering. I no, said like, like, like almost everyone. Say, every, say everyone is. Almost everyone is. It's Wednesday night. Okay, like, who is the highest scorer in the NBA? Uh, I'm going to say the highest point total belongs to... Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Oh, it's Shea, huh? Okay. Yeah, is that interesting? Beat. Okay. Um, I, I was having a conversation with my friend, and obviously I talk about this on here a lot. Like, the Thunder are my little, like, it should be Jokic because after watching Dallas, literally have yeah, but, but, no interior defense. It should be, but Jokic can be a you know he can be a twenty twelve and twelve guy. But but that's kind this, of the point. Is this is, is a good matchup for Jokic? Shea is at thirty two and a half. They play Houston, but like Shea is always kind of up there, and Jokic is six points less than that at twenty six and a half against Dallas. Oh, I would take that Jokic line. Uh, yeah. Yes. Exactly. I I just thought it was interesting that I think I don't know if it's like totally sliding under the radar or not. I think Shea's starting to get like the you know respect that that he deserves, even though he's he's playing in OKC. Like when I'm watching that guy, man, I, I was having a conversation with my friend about this. I said, "What um, the season Shea Gilgis Alexander is having? What NBA star has never had a season better than this? You know, or like what what yeah. player? What's the line?" And and like. We were talking about it at first. I was like, I don't think Cat's ever had a season as good as Shea. Like no. it's above that bar. And then and then we were like, we're like, peak Paul George. We're like, no, that's too high. Like peak Paul George was was I think was better than than Shea has been this year. And then but I was it's tough to say, man. Like it's oh really no no tough this is say, like, so circumstance hard. situation. Like mm -hmm. I mean I mean, what is Jason Tatum doing in OKC right now? Just flop. Right. You know I don't know. But that you're right, the, the situation. But that, that wasn't the question. It is in the context of that player's career, their peak version of themselves thus far in their career, who who is the best player that Shea is playing better than now? I talked about with this with Britt after we we stopped recording and we were kind of talking about the Washington matchup. I was like, is Shea Gilgis Alexander having a better season this year than Bradley Beal ever has? That was I, I think so. I, I think, think that's easy. I, I think that's but easy. Beal was pretty nasty like four years ago. We we we, we forget some of this stuff with with recency bias. So maybe so maybe it's even higher. Than yeah, that. but I I mean I just think Shea is just a better all around basketball player than Bradley Beal has. Yeah, been. that that's true. I also think we forget like well now now Bradley Beal is like definitely going for like forty nine points against the Wolves on Thursday after you just you just said that. Well, that's fine. I mean that, <laughs> I mean and and he he is an explosive scorer still. Like he does a lot of great things. But like just in terms of total impact on the game. I would take Shea over peak Bradley Beal. Yeah, which which so again, making the point of this is I think is one of the brushed over things of the season is how special Shea Gilgis Alexander has been. Can do it on both sides of the floor. Does it in clutch time? Whenever I'm watching that, it feels like the Thunder play a lot of close games, and I'm like, it seems like teams can never get the ball out of Shea's hands in in those situations, and he's able and he's able to do it. I, I think he is he is comfortable in tight situations and and like 
like in tight coverage situations, he takes so many shots where I'm like, eh, not a great shot, and they go down. Like, right. He he's got everything in his bag. It's it's mm-hmm. really impressive. And his cousin's now on the Timberwolves. Yeah, that's true. You you, you needed to learn how to say Nikhil Alexander Walker. Alexander Walker. <laughs> the Alexander part comes first. <laughs> yes. You, For you those said, wondering who missed it on the one podcast where I was trashing Nilo's defense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I called him Nikhil Walker Alexander like about 11 times. times. <laughs> yeah, as somebody else pointed out on Twitter afterwards. And I was like, yes, I did. Uh, that's, why I, that's why I consistently now say nah. Yep. So that I can remember that it's N-A-W. Yes. yes not so N-A-W-A. Which is going to be confusing with Nas, maybe. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. I still think one of the funniest things is that, like, everybody, it, like, Jaden McDaniel's, like, life outside of Minnesota refers to him as J-Mac. But we just decided, like, as a collective Wolves community, we're like, nah. Nope. We already got That's one of those. For. That's spoken for. for. Jace pounded the table for that one. Um, <laughs> anyways, prize picks. Uh, check check out the uh, the lines they have uh, st- set up there for the Genesis Open, as, as Jace talked about. NBA, invitational. Invitational, whatever. Um, they got everything here, man. NHL, soccer, Australian basketball. League. I mean, it's there's a like, there's a bunch of stuff that you can get MMA, tennis. I don't even know how that all works. But the fun part about like the golf ones is like, and they'll add to this. But right now, like they've got Tiger's shots on the first hole, like <laughs> over under four and a half shots on the first hole. Like it, and they and they add to those. Like there will be more options for that as the tournament goes on. Like Prize Picks is pretty fun for golf. Like the different options they give you. I do think again, I'm not a big nowhere near the the golf guy that you are. But like of my friends outside of fantasy football, it seems like the fantasy and or betting sport that they do most is golf and i'm like i don't know maybe i i don't know maybe i gotta we gotta do a golf segment on here every time sure people love this <laughs> i was talking oh, about yeah, they, they they tune out like you always say like Tom just tune out at the end of this episode <laughs> if you don't care and i i agree with that like uh, for a lot of people the last 10 minutes of this episode is just garbage they have call of duty lines on here this is wild. Anyways, check out Prize Picks if you're if you're looking. You know you don't don't have football anymore. You know you want a Saturday afternoon, whatever you want to you want to have a little uh, bet set up. Check that out. PrizePicks.com, PrizePicks app. They do have. Uh, they will give you a one hundred dollar sign up bonus if you sign up using the promo code Dane. And you know the reason we're we're focusing on this as a as a sponsor here of the podcast this year is you you can't play it in Minnesota where. The majority of you uh, do listen. It is daily fantasy and and not a sports book. So check that out. Jason, I'll now that football season is over, we're going to have to get creative. Well, maybe we'll do all Call of Duty lines next week. I'm going uh, out guys' names at that point. Yeah, well, that's about how golf works for me. So uh, we'll make it work. Jace, I uh, appreciate you doing it. I'll see you at the game on Thursday. That's good, Dave. Until next time, uh, he's Jace Frederick at Jace Frederick. Uh, you can read him over at the Pioneer Press. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Um, be back to talk to you on Friday after the Wizards game with Kyle Tige. Till then, peace out.